Hey everyone, welcome to this conversation between Peter Rollins and Trayden Leno uh, that I had the pleasure and I'd say honor of moderating. Uh, it was mind blowing. What more can I say? It went way past my expectations and I already had pretty high standards. Uh, I won't say much. Uh, I'll let the dialogue speak for itself, no pun intended. Uh, but Trey is a philosopher, theologian, and creator of the Telosbound community online um, through YouTube and Substack. Uh, he's also the author of this book, Ephesus, The Impossibility of Subjectivity, where he explores uh, Orthodox Christianity through a Hegelian, Jerichian lens. Uh, Peter probably needs some introduction. Uh, he is one of my favorite thinkers and, and speakers currently in the kind of radical theology movement. He too is a philosopher and theologian. Um, he is the author of numerous books, uh, namely How Not to Speak of God, The Idolatry of God, uh, and a, a lot more. And in fact, he did say that he's writing another one currently. Um, I've already mentioned this to him before, but uh, this book in particular, How Not to Speak of God, is in fact a book that I've gifted to many of my friends who sort of grew up in Pentecostal evangelical uh, environments and had their own spiritual struggles, let's say, and they found this book very helpful. But more importantly, um, you probably noticed in the conversation, um, in a couple of places, Peter and Trey uh, bring up this idea of the death of God. Um, what does that mean? Um, and in, in one way, if you could say that Orthodox Christianity, which sort of is a worldview that Trey comes from, it, it really is communion over God. Whereas the kind of the radical theology or pyrotheology worldview that Peter comes from uh, is communion over the death of God. Now, what does that mean? Because this certainly, as the name suggests, is a radical concept. Uh, and there's a course that Peter has put together called Atheism for Lent, uh, which he runs, if I'm not mistaken, every year uh, or every six months or so. Uh, and the course next year will be around Feb February next year. Uh, all the details are on his website to really understand and kind of live with this idea of what it means to live in a, a society and a, a reality uh, after God has died, which is, I believe, is a conspicuous archetype in Christianity. And to really understand what this means, uh, I think we need to sit with this idea and kind of even meditate and ponder on it, which I believe is what Peter does uh, in that course as he kind of guides us. So yeah, if you do find the ideas that Peter discusses interesting, and perhaps more importantly, if you find that they speak to you in a, in a deep, profound sense, do consider checking out his course, Atheism for Lent. Uh, I'll leave all the details in the description down below. Saying all that, without further ado, here's Peter Rollins and Trey Leno in conversation. Trey, as you suggested, probably we could start off with a 10-minute introduction um, to your views, uh, more as to what your chances are. Um, sure. Then from there onwards, we'll get going. But as I did mention in the the email correspondences, uh, I'm going to try my best to just be a fly on the wall because one of my pet peeves with moderators is they, they jump in too much. So I'm going to try and let you both converse. And only if really necessary, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, but yeah, probably pretty could get started and just give a 10-minute introduction to, to your work and your uh, kind of overall worldview. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where to start i think uh i know you're gonna edit this or whatever i'm probably just gonna start with um uh my worldview more than like myself and like 
my channel and stuff. Sorry folks, a quick interruption here. Trey unfortunately had some technical issues. So Peter and I just started chatting about some of the work he's been doing with pyrotheology. But if you do want to get straight to that dialogue, you could skip ahead. Um, yeah, and also I do want to hear from you. So I, that's very good about you wanting to minimize your moderation. But I mean, you're very much a, a partner in the conversation. So jump in as much as you feel. Oh, you're too kind. Yeah. <laughs> nah, because I feel like I already, well, to be honest, I feel like I could keep having these conversations perhaps because of that lack that we all have forever in some mm. sense. But ah, yes. <laughs> given the fact that I already like can have conversed with you both individually, this is my, my, like, my, what I'm thinking is, okay, what, what happens if, you know, you both get into dialogue and I, I, you know, step, step in less, but, uh, but not say that though. I mm -hmm. do appreciate it. Yeah. How was the, uh, the spark retreat, Peter? Oh yeah. It was loads of fun. It was actually for me, I think my favorite one so far, um, because the hotels continue to get nicer and nicer since I booked it years, 10 years ago to do this. So um, we've ended up with this beautiful hotel with the spa and creates a really lovely environment where for a week you're just in this beautiful forest. Um, and I've really found the the uh, the purpose of Spark this this year, which you know, sometimes I wasn't quite sure what it was and what it was for. So it was partly entertainment, partly philosophy, partly retreat. Um, this year, it was very much helping people develop a curiosity with their unconscious and seeing their symptoms and uh, understanding those symptoms and, and, and connecting that with theological work. And that so basically, it was like, that's what Spark is. Spark is about you take a week and you kind of listen to yourself and you discover dimensions of yourself. So that was fun. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And then I saw you announce recently um, that you'll be having, uh, is it a part of pyrotheology uh, for like leaders to integrate the work you're doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in, in developing that. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to do that next year um, and hopefully get like 50 or so kind of leaders in the church and just, strategize how and what would be helpful in my work to kind of actually integrate into a congregational setting beautiful beautiful in fact i want to connect some of your work uh, with to trey's idea of communal ontology but we'll get to that later it's funny i've rereading my first book um for a course and uh yeah. oh yeah oh there it is very good yeah um, and it's it's very much kind of like orthodox kind of theism in many ways so um and i've kind of i'm coming to the point where i'm kind of critiquing my early self and uh, so i think trey's position might be closer to what i was doing in my why not speak of god book uh so i'll be interested in that um, yeah for sure so you're like you're kind of like wittgenstein there's the early and the latter yeah. <laughs> yes yes just like wittgenstein <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed uh I was quite shocked, actually, because sometimes, you know, you rewrite your own history and you remember things differently. And I thought, oh, you know, and I'll reread the book. And then, like, there's actually a story in the book that I'm putting into a book I'm writing at the moment. I didn't realize I had it in that first book. And it's I, I, I think I've told the story to you directly, actually, about um, uh, the the mystic, the evangelical and yes, the fundamentalist. Yeah. Yeah. That means so I I. Yeah, and I give the the interpretation that I critique 
in the first book as the interpretation I embrace. So I'm like, oh, this, so it's kind of interesting. My next book, I'm going to refer to Rollins critically uh, and <laughs> critique my my early interpretation oh. of that parable. Excellent. <laughs> you know? And you're doing, the, doing this as a part of your course, right, Peter? The uh, kind of like you do a book study with your Patreon, your Patreon. Yeah. So I'm doing that as part of that. Um, I like to kind of do kind of deeper dives and that's kind of one of the ones I'm doing. It's not recorded or anything. It's just conversation. Um, although I think I might make a series of videos after it, um, you know, and kind of make them available. But yeah, but like Patreon's my really my bread and butter, um, especially now, especially since COVID where I don't really do anything live, don't do events just really do a lot of online stuff. So I want to do as much content as possible on that platform. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, how have you, you know, found, I mean, given that you've been doing this work for a while, Peter, uh, how have mm. you found, you know, uh, because like, I mean, you wrote this book, you went in 2004. That's a, that's a long time ago, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Social media. And I mean, how, how has the idea of kind of pirate theology and what you're trying to do build, as in fact, I think I'm quoting you here. You said you want to build a community around a shared lack. How have you found doing that um, with the different platforms? You know, YouTube to to Patreon to to different kinds of social media. Yeah, I mean, so I've moved from being primarily a writer to a speaker, and I think because the technology changed, and I think in one sense I enjoy that more. So thank God the technology changed to the kind of medium that I prefer and uh, that's why I haven't really written for a long time although I say I'm writing a book at the moment um so yeah luckily uh YouTube arrived and podcasting and I mean I was kind of doing public speaking before the technology existed so I was just doing it unemployed in Belfast to 20 people <laughs> and uh you know thank goodness eventually there was an opportunity to to do it on a wider basis and then people like you know yourself Trey who grew up with this technology you know you have a channel you have graphics you have like it's intuitive to you in a way you know I kind of uh, as an older guy I had to kinda, you know it's not as intuitive to me um so yeah I don't know don't know what the next the next step will be but having a YouTube channel and doing regular content I think does appeal to me in some way so I'll get advice off you at some point all right um, I'll mute myself Trey go ahead my friend all right. Uh, and yeah, I heard uh, Peter say that, Rahul, you should uh, enter into the conversation whenever you, you think you should. I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, okay. I will do my uh, introduction now. I don't know if how long it's going to be. Um, might just be five minutes or whatever, but um, yeah. Well, I guess I'll just start with uh, the key disagreement or the key question, I think, that this whole uh, conversation about uh, or between uh, me and Peter will sort of revolve around. Uh, and the, the, my position, I think, could be described as Orthodox Christianity. Uh, Peter's position, I think, could be described as Atheist Christianity. Uh, the question around which I think this discussion will revolve is the necessity or the contingency of negativity. Uh, and negativity, I, I personally associate with sort of a withdrawal of the subject. Uh, it's split from reality. I am quite Zizekian on uh, this point. Uh, but reality, I understand primarily as uh, communion with God. So I do see sort of a real ontological meaning to what negativity is. It is fundamentally a 
I think a spiritual reality uh, at the core of the subject, a free, a, a sort of abyssal freedom that is um, not constitutive of the subject. So that's very key for for our understanding of subjectivity. Uh, negativity is not constitutive; it is privative and contingent, and the result of sin, uh, or it is sin, we could say. Um, so, from our position, the orthodox position, I would say, is negativity is contingent, which I think, uh, from what I understand of, P of Peter and his work, this is sort of anathema in the Church of Contradiction. So, so, so something I want to uh, sort of respond to right away is sort of the question of, if we're saying that negativity is contingent, uh, are we perhaps falling into any sort of ideological traps? Uh, and this is something that Peter has talked about before, and he actually cites uh, someone who I really appreciate, uh, Todd McGowan, who I've I've talked with before and had on my channel. And for Todd, he actually seems to almost define, uh, define ideology as an attempt to cover over negativity or the term Todd would use contradiction. And I think Peter tends to use the term contradiction a lot, while Zizek emphasizes uh, negativity more. Um, I, I don't see too strict of a distinction between the, the two terms, but uh, Peter would know would know more about that than than me. Um, so what Peter what Peter himself said in his video that I watched on uh, on with him explaining what Todd believes about ideology, he says that it is ideological to cover up uh, contingency or negativity because I think sort of the presupposition of this ontology is that negativity is constitutive and always already there, kind of. So to cover it over, to try to say it is contingent, is sort of always already a sort of ideological uh, uh, gesture and falling into an ideological trap, wherein I think, if I'm remembering the way the way Peter was ex explaining it, you the, the tendency, I think, is when you're covering over your own contradiction, you blame it on another, and you, you sort of project this contradiction, which is actually internal to yourself, Onto the other, the classic example that I know that I uh, I, I know from Zizek is the the Nazis blaming uh, the Jews and, and the Bolsheviks for their own uh, uh, contradictions within their own identity. They just didn't recognize this, and the only way they could, they could preserve sort of the fantasy of this coherent totality of the the Ger Germanic race or whatever, um, it was only possible through this opposition to the other. And this is ideological in nature. So I just wanted to sort of open my introduction with explaining why I don't think that the Orthodox view, um, in terms of Orthodox Christianity, what, what I personally hold to, um, is um, would fall into this ideological trap. And um, I think the, the, the key to, and the biblical key to, to understanding this is when St. Paul, I believe in, in, either first or second Timothy, he calls himself the worst of the worst of sinners. Uh, now this is really interesting. He calls himself the chief of sinners, um, the the lowest of the apostles. And yet he is, we all know, uh, one of the greatest apostles, if not the, the greatest apostle, however you would define that. But he says, I am the worst of sinners. Um, and then other examples of this sort of motif, this idea of the peak of holiness corresponds with a sort of humility and open declaration of our own contradiction, our own negativity, our own sinfulness. Uh, I see all these ideas as, as sort of interlinked. Um, 
you see this in Paul, and then you also see it in the Jesus prayer, uh, the, the central prayer in Orthodox Christianity. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, one of my my favorite theologians, Father Nicholas Ludovicos, he has a story uh, where he was talking about a man named Saint Porfirios, who's uh, he's venerated uh, in in the Orthodox Church. He's a a saint from the 20th century, and Father Ludovicos was going going through some troubles, and he said uh, he he his spiritual father was Saint Saint Porfirios, and he said, Father Porfirios, please pray for me. And Father Porfirios said, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And Father Ludovicos went, uh, why? No, 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 don't pray for yourself. Pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for me. And St. Porfirios answered with, uh, my son, don't you know, uh, you and I are one. So I think this is sort of the um, the, the, the Christian understanding uh, or the Orthodox understanding is we don't blame uh, our, the sin on the other, but we blame it on ourselves. And through this uh, identification of the blame on, on ourselves and also a paradoxical full unity with the other in in struggle i think this sort of i, I haven't really fully thought it through but i sort of want to introduce it um this this idea of a, a union in um a, a union in uh positivity of of love and in struggle and in suffering which i think is is very christian um and then also sort of when it comes to sin and what isn't part of this sort of communal and uh um a relational reality but but it's sinful it is sort of it, it's treated differently by paul where he takes it all on himself and it's sort of this radical self-reversion which I, I don't fully understand which i but i think is interesting nonetheless um now i i think a more concrete example of the way uh and and this is actually quite an interesting idea that i i've been working with uh for, for a while now, and uh, my friend Chad Hag, who has a YouTube channel as well, philosophy channel, he's uh, helped me with this, um, talking about the seven deadly sins, which is a traditional sort of classification of, of, of the sins in uh, Christian uh, spirituality. Um, and it was first formulated, actually, by uh, St. John Cassian, uh, who was a, a, a monastic, an early monastic uh, and saint in, in the Orthodox Church. Um, and he talked about how you, there's the seven deadly sins, but pride is the greatest of them all. And pride isn't part of the seven deadly sins. It's actually like the eighth sin that stands outside of it, but kind of like the essence of them all. So almost kind of like absolute spirit in Hegel. And this is sort of the connection I've been I've been trying to make with that a bit. Um, uh, so Pride is basically for for St. John. The way he describes it, it's almost like the purest form of a sort of self-relation. So the way I understand, um, uh, well, you, you mentioned Rahul uh, earlier. You mentioned the communal ontology and, and uh, the way I, I sort of see the, the world from a Christian perspective. Um, I see sin as fundamentally an attempt at self-relation and all true being and all uh, anything creative and truly productive is fundamentally communal or uh, relational, a movement towards the other. And only this movement towards the other is truly um, truly productive. But pride is the purest attempt, I, I think, the purest form that a creature creature can get to revert to rebelling against its nature, which is intrinsically relational, intrinsically communal, and trying to become self-relational. And so like St. St. John and other uh, writers will talk about how like gluttony, for example, the reason why gluttony is 
sinful has nothing to do with food or like the substance you're working with, right? But it only has to do with the um, the self-will that is manifested in these gluttonous acts. Um, so it's the manifestation of the self, the self-affirming self, this um, consuming prideful self. This is sort of the ultimate enemy in uh, at least traditional, I think, Orthodox Christian Christian spirituality. And I think, so actually, I, I have a video where, where Chad Hag, my friend, sort of, he, he actually outlines the way um, every, the, the traditional classification, classification and order of the seven deadly sins can be pa uh, mapped onto Hegel's phenomenology of spirit in the same order. And it actually like works out perfectly, uh, which is, uh, I, I couldn't outline it all here, but it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, and, and the point of that, I think like the essential point of that is that um, I I sort of the way I sort of see Hegel, but more so the way I see like Saint John and, and I read his his understanding of the seven deadly sins is the more we move towards the absolute, the the more we move towards the the end and and the truth, the real we we could even say the more we get to this sort of of self relation of this um this but. Yeah, I think self-relation or self-referential point is the best way to describe it. Now, for Christianity, this is sin, right? Because self-relation is the opposite of of communion. Um, but I think for Hegel, and it's a lot more nuanced than I'm sort of presenting it, and I'm, I'm no Hegel expert at all. Um, I think Hegel sort of stands more so within a, a self-relational approach to uh, uh, ontology. But uh, in, in any case, the, more, the, the Christian point, I think, of pride being the essence of all sin is that the true essence of um of evil of of what is contrary to god is this negativity which is privative it is uh, a negativity of withdrawal of an attempt at self-relation um so that's basically I, I had a lot of other stuff i was gonna get into but i think that's uh, enough for now i've laid out a bunch of ideas uh so i'd be really interested uh, to see if peter or you will uh, have any thoughts on on what i said um or uh, if peter wants to introduce any other any other ideas or just introduce his own thoughts uh, that'd be great too so thank you thanks right yeah go ahead peter maybe you could do the introduction and probably even respond to Ray, if possible. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks, Trey. That was genuinely excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I, yeah. I can tell you have a respect for your enemies, put it that way. Um, uh, you've read them deeply. Um, I can tell you uh, uh, respect these people and have listened and, and engaged with them. So that's fantastic. And also, um, I think, yeah, you right from the beginning, you hit on probably you know, what is the central issue, which is the contingency or necessity of negativity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, to put it another way, I guess, is, you know, is God a kind of a, a type of surplus or lack? Um, uh, because traditionally, as you all know, you know, the, one of the early, like Anselm's definition of God in a sense is a sig God is a signifier that signifies that which cannot be signified, uh, that it's, it's within the definition of God that there is, there is something that is, you know, for Anselm in excess, um, that we encounter. So all of this, that was like a, Again, one of the problems with discussions is sometimes you don't get to the heart of what the difference and the issue is. And as I say, I think you presented that 
brilliantly. Um, I also, it's funny because in some respects, yes, we're going to be coming from opposite positions. And the the interesting thing there is sometimes all you can do is try to outnerate each other. You know, you describe each other's positions and see see which which person can paint a more persuasive image of the world. But there are also places where we can engage and uh, where there's there where there's some similarities. I also like your systematization. I can tell that you want to connect. You know, you're connecting negativity with sin, with kind of like with kind of mysticism. You're you're making these connections. That's the thing that's deeply important. We have a, quite a similar view in some respects of negativity as sin. I connect sin, sexuality, and death drive. I think they're all for me articulating something quite similar in that mm -hmm. um, you know, for for Freud, sexuality. In a nutshell, I'm just going to be very brief, but in a, in, a, in a sense, sexuality refers to a type of movement around a lack. What makes something sexual, like what makes a meal sexual is precisely when it's not about eating food for fuel. So you go to a taster menu and you're just taking these tiny bites, right? You know, sexuality is foreplay. It's precisely not having sex. It's kind of like it's this... this this revolving around and drive death drive is very connected with this as well as drive is a type of satisfaction and not getting something if if we make a, a a distinction between demand desire and drive for a sec you know demand is an infant who just cries because they're cold right it's kind of like a demand mm -hmm. um desire is more about being fueled by not getting something right you know you desire something you don't have and then you get it so it's desiring an object that and so desire kind of is metonomic and moves um and then but drive is desire for the loss itself you know desire is their drive is weirdly where you're not you're desiring precisely the the relationship not working when you directly desire that and that's kind of drive in a nutshell for me, the theological name for that is sin, right? Sin is, I think, has a direct connection to the Freudian notion of sexuality and Lacanian death drive and how it's developed by Lacan. Um, but he, here's here's where I think there's a difference. Um, and here's where I, I wonder whether I'm going to, in another video I saw where you were talking about this, you know, you were talking about the self, self-relating negativity. And you were talking about, you know, the the self being disconnected from the other. This kind of this this kind of idea of sorry, that's my alarm telling me that I need to do this. <laughs> um, uh, uh, oh yeah, self relating negativity. That the self, um, it's a, it's a kind of disconnection from the world, from the absolute, from the other. I will probably say a few words about how I think negativity is actually how we connect with the other. So I'll, I'll do a defense of that for a second. Um, and I guess if I want to put this in theological terms, um, if negativity is gets to the heart of kind of um, human problems, I want to say, because I think it gets to the heart of everything, including the best of what it is to be human, but um, it also really gets to the heart of the difficulties of being human. Um, 
-hmm. I really like the theological term forgiveness of sin. If we, if we think of sin as lack for a second, if we think of sin as some sort of negativity, and if we then think of original sin as a negativity that is constitutive, and that's how I interpret it. In fact, I, I want my critique of orthodoxy is they don't take original sin seriously enough because it's not original. <laughs> um, you know, there's something before it. It's more like Matthew Fox and the original blessing. There's an original blessing, a fullness. There's a fall into separation, and then there's a return to fullness. I think is often a type of orthodox movement. Um, I want to do a kind of radical reading to say, what if original sin is originary, i.e. we start with a, a fall, um, we fantasize a, a, pr a previous wholeness, and then we desire a future wholeness. Um, if in terms of uh, uh, Lacan and philosophy, we could say this is lack. Loss is something that you once had something and now you no longer have it. Lack names a constitutive absence. Um, so if, um, oh yeah, forgiveness of sin, if, if sin connects with this idea of lack and maybe sinful activity then is anything you do to try to fill the lack, right? Whether it's, you know, drugs or having a child or doing whatever is anything that you do that to try to cover over this fundamental lack. So for me, then there's a connection between sin and ideology because it's anything to cover over this lack that, that we, we are. Um, then what's the Christian answer? And I think, again, sometimes a lot of Christ Orthodox Christianity um, or confessional Christianity is about the payment of debt, i.e. there's a lack and then you fill it. So if you have a debt and I pay that debt, I fill the lack, right? You, you owe $100 and I pay the $100 and now, you know, it's the, the lack is filled. Um, forgiveness of debt is very different because to forgive a debt isn't to pay it it's to render the nothing nothing um, so you know the year of jubilee was the forgiveness of debt not the payment of debt so you know I, I, I'm not a theologian as such so I don't want to play too much on that but the idea of forgiveness of debt connects to me with this idea that we are able to make peace with this lack not get rid of it uh, but rather um, rob it of its sting. Um, okay, so I'll say one more thing and then open it up. Um, using like a French psychoanalyst like Laplanche, I have become more interested in, and I think the idea in a nutshell is the first question that the infant has um, is really what does the other desire? What does the other want of me? So at first, the child is playing Fort Daggy in presence and absence. Kids' first game is peekaboo, presence and absence. And they're playing with probably the presence and absence of their caregiver, and they're gaining control over that. But then they encounter this other absence, which is the other's desire. And at some point, the child begins to wonder, how do I fit into the desire of the other, the desire of the family, the desire of my caregiver, right? So this fundamental question of what does the other want of me, and this is what separates I think psychoanalysis from existentialism in many ways, because existentialism is brilliant on anxiety and the the encounter with our own freedom and you know what do we want and how do we act in the world. But for Lacan, um, anxiety is a more primordial thing. It actually arises from not what do I want, but what does the other want? 
What does the other want of me? And then, you know, this generates fantasy and whatever. But the reason why I'm describing that is because I want to say that it's our encounter with the negativity of the other, this idea of what does the other want that actually connects me with them. That that kind of, that's I, I would say that's what anchors me into the other. And in a way, something like autism is where you see that the infant, this question of what does the other want is in some ways not instantiated in the same sense. Um, and, you know, see, even if we're not talking about clinical autism, just autism in a, in a general sense of, of, of what I think Trey's talking about, which is where you're kind of more enclosed in your own world, um, precisely because this question of the other's desire um, has not is not instantiated. So the reason why I'm saying that is I would like to argue that that if negativity is a constitutive is within everything and, and within the absolute, within reality, within mathematics, within physical reality, within biological life, um, then then that's exactly where we anchor ourselves. That's exactly the where we get a purchase. And I would define that as love, that love is precisely where you provide a harbor for the other's lack and they provide a harbor for your lack. So and that's what Lacan means by, you know, love is giving something you don't have to someone who doesn't want it. You know, it's like you're kind of almost giving your negativity, your lack to the other and vice versa. Um, so if if I get you right, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, if I get you right, you feel that this, this notion of negativity can create a type of hell, living hell, in which we are divided from each other and from the world and from the absolute. And that is then the definition really of hell and sin. And I think that's a very, very interesting interpretation. I want to forward this Laplantian idea that that actually it's it's our encounter with the negativity of the other that um, is precisely what connects us to the other. Um, and then our own unknowing and our own negativity kind of comes comes second. So I don't know if that's enough to go on, but I'll I'll stop there for now. Right. Um. Yeah. That was that was really great, Peter. Um. I uh, I I kind of just want to respond with my own question for you, just just to clarify. Um. On the the interpretation of Zizek and of of these other thinkers, because you were mentioning other people. Uh, admittedly, I, I haven't read all the people you mentioned. Um. Uh, but I've read a lot of Zizek, so um, I'm kind of really approaching this from a Zizekian perspective. And when I read Zizek and when he talks about the subject and when he talks about the negativity at the core of the subject, this constitutive negativity or the constitutive con contradiction, he he tends to use the term negativity um, pretty consistently. Um, for Zizek, he describes it in a way that uh, he uses this sort of very um, monstrous terminology. Um, and I'm and I kind of wanted to ask you, would you use this terminology as well? Because, uh, for example, when I read Todd McGowan, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if it's just a personality thing and the way they write, but Todd doesn't seem to have the same sort of emphasis as Zizek on this sort of monstrous, inhuman void at the core of the subject. Uh, you really get this, I think, even more recently in Zizek, like in in um, uh, one of my favorite books, uh, which I think is very underrated, uh, Hegel in a Wired Brain by Zizek from 2021. 
Um, By the way, I just read that recently because I didn't think I would like that book. I thought <laughs> I'm not interested. And I just read yeah. it recently. And man, that's a good book. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's it's great because like I was kind of scared Zizek was gonna kind of wander off into like uh like a lot of other authors try to get too deep into the actual tech technological side, but he really stayed on the philosophy side, which uh, I, I really love um, when he's yeah. just doing that. And uh, like basically the, the thesis of that book is that if we're understanding the wired brain as um, however nuances you want to, you want to add in, like the core understanding for Zizek is your thoughts sort of become enter into a sort of collective hive mind of sorts. Zizek's point is that this constitutive negativity, which you're talking about, Peter, the, the 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 core of the subject itself, it will remain alienated from even immersion into the singularity, into the collective hive mind. And for Zizek, what only, all this does is it reveals the split at the core of the subject that is already there and is already constitutive of our symbolic reality. But it by depriving us basically of symbolic reality through immersion into the through immersion into the uh, the hive mind, we basically uh, reveal the real or how, however you want to put it. And um, basically, so my my question for you, Peter, is for for me, I see Zizek and his description uh, th these much more negative uh, d descriptions, like just in terms of like again, yeah, the inhuman and uh the i'm trying to think of other terms like even hegel's term night of the world it's like a very scary description that that hegel hegel gives um and and almost hellish so so like uh and and i think that um zizek sort of his emphasis on almost this hellish dimension the inhuman dimension uh the undead dimension of uh this this core of the real of of what's at the the heart the zero level of, of subjectivity i think this when i started started to become christian um in my mind the way i was reading um the way i, I was um coming to understand sin and hell and what these are like hell as a even just a moment of consciousness like what it actually means like phenomenologically if we do believe in a god and and what alienation from god would mean as i started to think about this more i was reading people like um uh c.s lewis and um uh, other more strictly uh, the, uh theological works as well and i was coming to see a sort of uh uh um I started to see that Zizek's understanding of the subject and the understanding of sin and hell present in Christian theology sort of overlapped a lot. So I was just wondering for you, do you have this same emphasis of, as Zizek on this sort of inhuman aspect to it um, and sort of a more primordial alienation, I think? Um, and I think for Zizek, this might lead to less of an emphasis on what you talk about with uh, sort of... Um, uh, negativity being the basis upon which we actually encounter the other. I, I think this is less stress in Zizek. Um, and uh, do you agree with me that it's less stress in Zizek, for one? And two, if you do, do you think it's because you may have a, a different understanding of what subjectivity is and what the precise meaning of negativity is? Mm, very good. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about, I was having a conversation recently with somebody and um, about the kind of uh the rhetoric that jesus used and i was going like it's an interesting form of speech 
that, that I'd never really thought about is that actually Jesus would often, as recorded, say really extreme things that are impossible and like literally not even difficult yeah. to achieve, <laughs> utterly impossible. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know, you know, you have two mm -hmm. coats and someone's like, well, give it away. But the things I give, you know, it just, there's this, there's a dialectic form of speech in Jesus that I suddenly went, like, that's, we don't have enough speakers like that. Like, what would it be like to have a communicator who literally says impossible things? Um, it, and I, and I was thinking, and, but Jesus for, for me is, a, is kind of close sometimes to that. And there's a certain dialectic style he has where he, you know, he'll start off by saying love is monstrous, you know, or whatever. And, and a very strong kind of like, oh, it's disgusting, it's monstrous, it's whatever. And it, it kind of grabs you. And, and then, of course, you kind of go into the work and you go, oh, yeah, it is, you know, it's, it completely destabilizes you, completely wrecks your life. It, it destroys your freedom and all of this. And, you know, he ends with kind of like, you know, what, what else would, would we have? Um, so in one sense, yes, I, I think that there's a, a rhetorical style or a dialectical style in Shizek's work that is more than a style. And I think you probably agree with that is it's actually one of the things I really was drawn to in Shizek's work. Like yourself, I've, um, you know, big fan of Shizek's work and it was very influential to me. And part of it was this dialectic style that, um, this extreme use of terms, like, like you, in order to find your life, you have to lose it. You have to die to live. Like that's a very extreme, you know, we've just heard it so many times. It's not, but it is. Um, and there's something about that dialectic, that is more than style, I think captures uh, the heart of this kind of idea of the coincidence of opposites, you know, so the, you know, go into the dark to find the light. And of course, there's lots of things like in psychoanalysis, if you want to find freedom from your suffering, you have to go into the heart of your suffering. You have to remember things that your entire ego is designed to prevent you from seeing. So that's just a little comment on, on Shizek's style. Um, uh, in terms of, yes, his self-related negativity, the idea of the subject, I mean, I do see within, because within Shizek, he talks about this Lacanian idea of alienation and separation. Like the infant, the first kind of experience of our lives is alienation. I am, I am different from the others around me, and I feel kind of separate from them. I feel myself as kind of cut off from the world with the word, the birth of the world, I'm cut off from the, the birth of the word, I'm cut off from the world. So that's alienation. But then Shizek talks, um, a fair amount of writes about, then the second stage is when you realize that you're not just alienated from the other, but the other is alienated from themselves. And at the point of the alienation of where you realize that, you know, I, like, I remember the first time I beat my dad at chess and see a chess set there, but um, I, he probably let me beat him. But there was a sense in which well, there was a profound disappointment. Uh, but there's also something happened where I realized that my dad was just human. Right? With, with failures, there was a sense in which at that, for some reason, symbolically in my mind, I, I encountered my father as a divided subject. Um, and the the idea here is that, so alienation is... The, is where you feel yourself apart from the other. And then separation is when you see that the other is separated from themselves. 
And then that that's exactly where you unify with the other because you're both divided subjects. And I think it's, it's, I, I started reading Shizek with his religious works. So I really started with Shizek mm. with his puppet and the dwarf and um, on belief. And there was another one as well. Uh, and he really made a big deal of the cry of Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says in, in those books, and he's come back to it, that in all religions, there's separation from the from the other. All religions have it. We, in the East, it's often an, an illusion. We're separated from reality by an illusion that has to be dissipated. In the West, it's ontological, where the, 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 the separation is a real thing that has to be overcome. But he says, basically, you find that there is a separation. He says, and Shizek's argument, which really grabbed me, um, was in Christianity, God is separated from God. So it's it's a, that's it's the religion, and that's why I call myself a Christian. Is it's not that I'm just separated from the absolute, but the absolute is separated from itself. And when I embrace Christ in a way, I am identifying with that wound that is at the heart of everything. Mm -hmm. I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and come back to me, and you know we can tease this out more. Sure. See what you. I'd love to hear what you think. Sure. Um. Well, just. Quickly, what I'd, what I'd say on that is, um, I, I think I have associated sin with a negativity, but even in the past when I've been writing or whatever, I've realized that uh, I and other people use the language of negativity to not mean what I think would uh, constitute sin in Christianity. I think negativity can be a lot broader, um, um, uh, can have a lot broader meaning than um than sin because i mean negativity can simply represent dis distinction and sort of like a is not b um that's not a sinful reality that is sort of, uh, christianity affirms distinction um i'm a really very much a trinitarian christian so i emphasize sort of distinction in unity unity and distinction as sort of the core of my ontology and so what about you so would you say like in terms of then sin like is the more interesting negativity is A does not equal A. And is that's the interesting bit is that which I think we may agree on. I, I would just say potentially that mm. I think in in bird commas, I'm kind of Calvinistic in this way, is constitutive of subjectivity. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep going. Right, yes, right. there's negativity well, A does not equal B, and then there's negativity A does not equal A. Yeah. Well, well, I I'm not sure if that what you were saying is you would um if 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 you're saying that you would associate a not being a with sin is is that what you're saying? Because yeah, I think so. I'm thinking off the top of my head right now, but yes. <laughs> okay. Because I would just I would almost say the opposite, just really depending on what you mean. Um, because for me, I see a not being a in the sense of sort of a not falling into this sort of a tautology because tautology can't describe true being. Uh, true being is um, tautology describes pure self self reference. Being is a verb. It, it is something you do. Um, so in any case, um, w when we're saying A is not A, I would agree with that in the sense of uh, the Christian or the Greek sort of patristic term is ecstasis. Uh, a is always ecstasis, self-transcending, going beyond itself, moving towards the other, ultimately uh, the supreme other to which we're always oriented towards is God. Because I think the essence of our being is God taking us out of nothing by placing us in relation to him. So relation is always constitutive for me. Uh, and, and so what I understand as sin, and when I associate sin with negativity, I'm 
understanding negativity in this very narrow sense of sin, I mean withdrawal from communion. So the reason why I wouldn't agree with um, with saying that sin understood in this way is productive or creative in any way is because for me, creativity is always a communion, uh, a response to the gift of God. Um, and I, I know you've talked, you've talked about this b before Peter in your, in your videos. I'm not sure if, uh, maybe it's Paul Tillich. There was someone you were talking about who I haven't really looked into who you were describing his worldview. And I was like, that sounds a lot like what I would say. Um, but I it's really like, would I emphasize. Like Paul Tillich, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so I really, like I, yeah. So I, I think maybe what his position would be would sort of be like an overabundance of positivity as the ground. So like you can't, the reason why we can't, we run into antinomies and paradoxes is because rationality cannot circumscribe the, the infinite superabundant ground. I think this is very orthodox. This is like uh, Dionysius, the Areopagite, that that type of theology. Uh, that's very much my 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 stuff as as of now. Have you ever read John and Mario? Think about, yeah. By the way, have you ever have you ever uh, no. come across Mario? Yeah, someone's many a few people have suggested. Yeah, but I have. You'd, I have, you'd yeah. like my and I I really read a lot of Mario. And actually, during my PhD, um, I think you'd really like me anyway because that's exactly his position, and he argues it mm -hmm. beautifully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I need to I, I need to get more. I just I it, he was sort of like uh uh in the phenomenology sort of uh uh type of philosophy because yeah, I need to get more into sort of twentieth century phenomenology. But yeah, so actually I think an Orthodox priest recommended him to me. Um so so yeah, but I think uh I'm I'm not sure well I was kind of just wanted to articulate sort of uh the orthodox view of the crucifixion of christ and what the atonement was um because this is sort of like also a key disagreement i think and and it really is just a a, a disagreement because um while i do see the insight of zizek's point and i also agree that we really can affirm to a certain certain extent uh christ really being identified with our condition with our death really in orthodoxy um if you're familiar with orthodoxy we really emphasize death death as the penalty for our sin um and the resurrection the the giving of life as salvation that that is really important for for orthodoxy and the, basically the way we understand um uh the the way we understand the the crucifixion of christ is christ as by taking on human humanity by uh, by uniting his divine person with uh, human nature by entering into the world through the Virgin Mary. Um, he, in willingly going to the cross, he accepts, he experiences the full effects of sin. So there is a dis uh, distinction between sin and its effects. Dying is not a sin, but as St. Paul says, sin... Um, by sin entered death into the world uh that's a paraphrase but uh so uh i what, what we understand in orthodoxy is that christ experienced the fullness of the effects of humanity's sin and the ultimate effect again is death but when infinite life who is christ met death death was over was overcome so what we chant at uh, great lent in in orthodoxy is christ trampled down death by death 
Um, so this is our, our understanding, a sort of meeting of the negativity with an overabundance of positivity. Because, well, well, I'm not sure if I want to use this language of negativity uh, too much just because uh, we've already established that's kind of con confusing and, and vague. But um, I, I like the language of self-relation and self-reference because that to me is like the ultimate enemy because it's a communal yeah. ontology. So self-reference, self-relation is, is the enemy. And uh, death really is described even in the Bible in the language of self-relation. Dust thou art um, and dust thou shalt return. So um, and. And maybe the last point I'll make, um, just uh, I'm sure how relevant it is, but sort of to understand my under my understanding of ontology now and why, why in many respects I still am a, a Zizekian. Uh, um, I, <laughs> I I say that the the ultimate I say that the ultimate enemy is is self-relation, but at the same time I see ultimate self-relation as impossible. It's so, and this is exactly what Zizek says. Like this is his critique of the common understanding of the Cartesian cogito. It's a sort of um, self-transparent one-to-one being. For Zizek, there's a, always a primary uh, primordial constitutive uh, split at, at the core. Um, and I agree with that insofar as we're talking about self-relation, because I think any self-relation, because I, I affirm the traditional orthodox uh, uh, belief in sort of, a, or Christian belief in God is everywhere present, right? Um, every, and God originally is the one bringing us into existence, right? Um, we, any attempt for us to move towards self-relation is ultimately a self-negating movement. It is a failure. And the the sort of imagery I like to use to outline this is the notion of the Ouroboros, the uh, snake eating its own tail. Now, sort of, I believe the ancient understanding of the symbol was sort of like, sort of the typical ancient understanding of like a cyclic return where the digested contents become sort of the the snake again, it returns upon itself. And, and it's this, this idea, a uh, very pagan idea of a harmonious cyclical return where chaos is sort of integrated into it. But I think the real, uh, as the, the truth of the Ouroboros is actually when you really take the image to its logical conclusion, uh, you, you get a point where the snake has consumed all of itself and then all that remains is a gaping mouth. That's all that remains. This, this, it's consumed all of its substantial content. Um, and I think in terms of the way Zizek describes the, the subject, the self-relating negativity at the core of the subject, this void. I think this corresponds a lot to the sort of gaping mouth of the Ouroboros that I was, I, I was describing. Um, because I think this is the truth of self-relation. Self-relation is a, a negative movement because true being is participation in God. So the striving towards self-relation to, uh, uh, to, to isolation ultimately ends in it is for one an impossible movement and a self-negating movement where I, and this is why i'm again i'm very zizeki and i think it's a a movement more into inhuman you're moving away the, the way the the church fathers would, would say it is the the will is separating from its nature um nature is meant here in in, in the sense of the the purpose the the good and the good is communion with god so when you are moving away from communion with god this is my interpretation at least you're you're moving away from your from your purpose and, and from your from your good um so that that's sort of i just wanted to introduce that because that's sort of how i i read zizek now fundamentally why i see zizek is so valuable is because this constitutive impossibility 
of self-relation that Zizek gets to, this this critique of the Cartesian cogito, I think it is so significant and, and I fundamentally agree with it because for me, any image of self-relation of any harmonious nature, um, and even in a sense, if you want to understand it as a harmonious totality um, uh, prior to subjectivity, to the absolute singularity of subjectivity, I reject that. So, so Peter, I don't identify the singularity of the subject with um, sin, sin understood as withdrawal from the other. Um, rather, I see that um, I see a sort of mutual interiority, or a, sorry, a, a mutual, uh, uh, I think that the self exists as absolute and yet also in relations with others simultaneously, and that the full realization of the union between cells, uh, uh, between these absolute selves and with the absolute himself occurs in the eschaton ultimately. So I think a lot of the paradoxes or all of the paradoxes and antinomies we run into in this life are with the fact that we're often making the mistake of comparing this incomplete reality that we exist in to eternal or eschatological standards. Uh, I, this reality that we live in, we can't speak in terms of absolute, I think, categories in terms of this historical reality because we're always in a flow towards God. Uh, this is uh, sort of Maximus, the confessor's understanding of creation. Um, but sorry, I've been talking a lot, so I, I really want to hear your thoughts, Peter or Rahul or, or, or wherever uh, you guys want to take the conversation now. No, I mean, that was great. That was a very, uh, I think, concise uh, explanation of your position. Um, you know, and I'd love to say a couple of things. One is I'll say this as an aside, and we can, we can come back to it if we want. Um, the I kind of feel like if the church, which is this is very unorthodox way, of, this is a very Protestant way of speaking. I'm about to say is like uh, if the church is you know going through going to have another fundamental reformation, I think it'll be a reformation that takes very seriously this this notion of the self divided God of this not simply the canonic embrace with death, but this this interesting kind of split within the absolute. Um, my tension with orthodoxy, um, but I'm not an expert. I did read some orthodox uh, uh, writers many, many years ago, uh, mm -hmm. partly for my book, How Not to Speak of God, but, you know, that's that's it. But is um, is that sometimes I, I, I guess if I was in debate with that, I would be wanting to see if there's um, if I think there's an adequate way of uh, grappling with that self-division, you know, without falling into either, you know, it's kind of a game that God is playing for, you know, or, or whatever. But, but anyway, I, I kind of isolate that just to say that I'm really interested in building a theology that takes seriously, you know, this, this notion of self-division. That's neither here nor there. They, the thing that I want to, I think if I was to try to find where I think the the weak point is in your argument, right? <laughs> the bit that I would want to kind of poke at, um, it's actually, it's not so much, it's more that I think that one of the ways that allows you to make this distinction between maybe kind of my work and Shizek and McGowan's. And of course, I love the fact that you're saying you're, you know, you're a fan of Shizek and you almost see yourself as Shizekian because um, you also know that, um, you know, Shizek wants to say that this self-division is 
is is in everything for all time you know not like in the eschaton it gets resolved so but i like that i like the fact that you're kind of holding on to shizek there but i think there's an interesting tension (laughs) um but is that i think you know i can see why in your argument one of your primary concerns is this this notion of like separation you know hell being the ultimate place of of sell even that parable of the long spoons and everybody trying to feed themselves and everybody starving, which I think might be an orthodox parable actually, but is I think a, a beautiful description of yeah. um, of hell. the The thing that I want to push back on is simply the argument that I want to make is that it's precisely negativity and i've said this before that 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 actually binds us to the other and i want to bring in someone like uh rennie girard as an, as an example of this where you know for girard in some respects sin or sorry desire is is the original sin desire because we, we start to desire what the other desires we learn what to desire through the other's desire uh we desire the type of relationship they have with the other so i may either desire my friend's partner start to fancy them because of their desire or i don't desire their partner but i desire the type of relationship i imagine they have with their partner and with Girard, desire is always, always interwoven necessarily with jealousies, with envies, with admirations, with um, with mimicry, right? These are all kind of like connected with desire. And you kind of like, you can't have desire without jealousies and envies, rivalries, the kind of admiration and mirroring that, that comes from it. And, but what's interesting from that kind of position is, what connects me to the other is the other's desire. I st- and the joint attention mm-hmm. with an infant is an infant will start to look at where the parent is looking and they'll start to desire what the parent's gaze alights upon, right? So there's a point when when the infant begins to look not at the parent's eyes, but at where the eyes are going. And yes, I takes an interest in that. And what I why I'm bringing that up is I want to make the argument uh, that that it's precisely this negativity of the other's desire and the other doesn't know what they desire, et cetera, et cetera, that, that I begin to take an interest in what they take an interest in. I begin to mimic them. I begin to be a rival to them. All of this stuff, I begin to get interwoven with the other fundamentally. Right. Right. And then for me, forgiveness of sin or what the answer is, is not to get rid of that. Um, it's to... Um, I say, you know, you use that term Robert of its sting, but where I, I realize that 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 the, the, the other doesn't know what they desire either. We I desire what the other desires, the other desires what the other desires. And this there's no substance. You don't get to some point where there's an individual who just does desire substantively and has because it's all interconnected. And then I guess just to put it in the Christology, I would say that um uh well, I would say this is like to love the other is to love God. So I, I very much want to take that radical position that you can't love God. Um, you can only love, but in loving, that is loving God. So, you know, you almost could say in the Bible to simplify, there's love God and there's love your God and love your neighbor. And then in some of the letters, there's just love your neighbor and you are loving God. <laughs> it almost goes to this point mm-hmm. where to, to, to love, for me to love is to embrace the other's negativity the uh, that dimension of the other 
and be open to that dimension of the other in all of its horror, in all of its difficulty. Because for me, like we want to protect ourselves from the otherness of the other. That's basically the opposite of love. We all want to surround ourselves with people who are the same. We don't, mm-hmm. even people who are familiar to us, we don't want to encounter that dimension of them, which is strange, which is monstrous, which is other. Um, but somehow to love your neighbor is to make space for that dimension in the other. And for me, that again, that that's for me is not self-relating negativity where we are separated and isolated. It's actually our mode of connection. Um, anyway, I don't know if does that make sense. Do you want to tease that out a little bit more? Is yeah, it like, um, for a bit, Trey. Uh, I think I think this is the key point. Is it okay, Trey? Uh, do you want to make a point first, or no? For sure, no. Go ahead, please. No, I was just gonna say I think this is the key point here because. I was following along both your um, arguments and I realized, I think we all agree that the biggest problem is self-relation, self-relating ne- negativity. I mean, that is the problem. It's in self-relation, in some sense, we we fail to subjectivize or as to use uh, the trade the way you put it, uh, we become less, less human. And if I could make a slight uh, sociological point, it seems this is why both uh, Trey, your kind of orthodox Christianity and Peter, your radical theology is is antithetical to the current prevalent ideology, which is all about self-relation, be it new age spirituality or more the, the Pentecostal Protestant, you know, God, come and save me. The other is completely kind of ignored. Um, so my question would be, and uh, maybe you could go first because you were going to make a point. Um, it seems to me that uh, Peter is saying that we can't, uh, if... Uh, the, okay, so the idea is you you both are saying the way to overcome the self-relation is through some form of uh, communion. So perhaps Trey would call it communal ontology. And Peter, that's the work you're doing with uh, parotheology. But it seems to me that for you, Trey, this communion still uh, encompasses communion with God. Whereas for you, Peter, God is... it's more something symbolic in the sense that the communion has to happen through love with the other by seeing their lack by the others lack too and then i would say the death of god if you wanted to put it in a summation is it's i think communion is a is a meal around not god but the death of god yeah well put and and Mm -hmm. that's where i i feel like we can kind of flesh out the differences as to what what does that mean so what is what is if i could put it plainly um What's the difference between communion with God and then what, what is communion with the death of God? Oh, yeah, I'll just jump in because I thought that was yeah, very well put, Raul. Um, and, uh, you know, funnily enough, I, like, I, I, I've often said, but kind of go like, you know, Christians don't believe in God. Well, as in loads of people believe in God. Belief in God is all over the place. But what, what's kind of unique is they believe in the death of God, right? So I, I obviously I make a big, and obviously Trey makes a big deal of that because in orthodoxy, as he pointed out, death and the death of God is is central. It's a sal, salific, sal, you know, a salvatory act. Um, and I love, Raul, you use the term communion because that's actually a key term for me. I try to avoid the word community. It's very hard to, because that's where, but for me, community is a group that is unified around a shared identity a shared set of beliefs, a shared enemy. So it's it's very much identitarian. And so it's, whereas for me, a communion is you are joined together by a shared loss 
Mm-hmm. Right. So in communion, it's the death of God. You're literally having a meal around this death of God. So, and for me, death of God is symbolic of the this wound at the heart of everything. Um, and I've often used AA as an example where in AA, you're not unified by your wealth or by your political views or anything like that. You're kind of unified by a shared trauma, which means a shared loss connected to alcoholism. But that that unity is a unity, I say, not around a positivity, but, but around a negativity. Um, and in fact, actually, this is Okay, very quickly, if I think of like conservative positions today, and I use these terms lightly, but conservative positions are often universalist, right? You hear people on the internet, on YouTube, who who say, who really advocate for kind of facts don't care about your feelings. There's a, you know, very famous example, which is, you know, facts are true of everywhere, not just your feelings, right? And then the critique of that, the identity politics critique of that is, well, all universalities hide um, privilege all universalities ultimately, you know, are going to help the Europeans or if you're wealthy or whatever. So if you say something like, oh, we live in a meritocracy, you go, well, do we really? Because some people seem to benefit more. So the, the critique of identity politics is always showing that positive universals hide particular um, privileges. Um, but for me, the, the next step is to embrace a negative universal to say, yes, actually all positive universals generally hide something, but the the true universal is we're all already dead. Uh, We have all passed through castration. We've all passed through loss. That's what unifies us. Um, And that's kind of what I mean by the communion of the death of God. So I I just some comments on that. And yeah, try to jump in and even your previous points, if you want. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't keeping up with with what you said just at the end there, just because I was um, I was trying to think through something that that Peter said, um, uh, and then we can get back to 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 what you asked uh, before. But just really quickly, um, uh, P- Peter said that to love is to, is to embrace the other's negativity, um, and I I would say that I either agree with that or I don't agree with that, just depending on what we mean by negativity. Um, now, if by negativity we mean this sort of the singularity of 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 the subject this sort of um this the otherness uh, uh, of the subject if that if that's what we mean by by negativity here uh then then i agree because i do i i think that otherness can be conceived and and it can work well within this this conception that we have that we're working with here even within a sort of uh, uh overabundance of positivity understanding um I, I think that otherness can be an overabundance of positivity and not not at least the way Zizek would describe it, a sort of a void of self self-relating negativity. That that actually even for Zizek, the 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 void of the other or the inaccessibility of the other is secondary to the more fundamental self-division of this the subject, the uh the impossibility of the uh self coincidence of of the subject um so you said that to love is is to embrace the other's negativity um and i agree with that if again if if we mean by the whole person um but not in the sense of embracing or affirming the other's uh, sins not of course that we don't um that we're uh judgmental and that we don't understand and uh um sort of condescend to people's weakness and this for christianity this is based on the universal confession of sin um and i was actually going to mention this um even uh, even in 
when we're uh, talking about talking about the confession of sin uh, in in orthodoxy, at least the way it typically works is pr the priest and the the penitent stand before the icon of Christ, and they're both facing the icon of Christ, and they're both uh, um, this this order here, this hierarchy um, shows that both the priest and the the layman, the penitent, are are subject to Christ. Um, so um, I think this sort of threefold structure that you have here of the priest penitent and sort of the uh, of Christ himself, this threefold pattern, similar pattern you can find really everywhere. And I think you even find it in um, Peter's understanding and Zizek's understanding of what the Holy Spirit is and um, what ultimately um, uh, forgiveness or, or reconciliation is, because you have three sort of elements here you have the subject and then you have the other and then you have the the alienation and i think at least the way peter seems to be describing it it's the common the shared alienation that the subjects have that is sort of the basis the condition of of their meeting um and they're they're entering into relation with each other um and again if if we're talking if we're saying that we're understanding this negativity as the singularity of the subject this I am I and I am not you, then I agree with that. But if we're talking of more of a, I would say, a Zizekian split, a void where uh, we're getting into stuff about the death drive and uh, sort of pure loss and in these categories, I think we're, um, um, this is something uh, like the way I personally understand it, at least, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts thoughts about this, Peter. I see the the void um, and like the actualization of the void, the revelation of the void, the end of the split um, that, for example, Zizek outlines in Hegel and a Wired Brain. I think that this is a valid description of the consciousness of hell or what the experience of hell would actually be as a, even just like a logical understanding of a, a moment of consciousness of what it would be like to be alienated from God. Um, I think that Zizek's subject and the way he under, uh, describes what is left after the wired brain has consumed consumed all of your wealth of personality, the, the ego, and all that remains is sort of this punctual subject of the, the, the void um, and, and the and the, the objet, the sort of the imaginary uh, uh, objectal counterpoint uh, to Zizek's language. Um, I, I, I think that that is... Um, that understanding is much more uniquely Zizekian and is much more, um, uh, I think you can read that, uh, I at least can read it um, in my way of understanding uh, this subject as the abyss of hell and stuff. I can do that a lot easier than when I'm listening to you, Peter, and the way you're describing this sort of uh, com uh, communality we have and this meeting in our negativity. Um, uh, again, I, in, in many senses and really depending on what you mean i i can definitely agree with that and it seems to be from what you were saying i, I do sort of uh agree with most of what you're saying even um like even in, in christian like in, in orthodoxy at least um there's an understanding of even in the liturgy there's sort of a a common confession of of sin so even in uh traditional orthodox christianity there's a recognition that i think peter thinks is essential of a common that the community needs to be based at least in some part on a common recognition of a lack of we are lack uh, lacking something but 
I'm not sure how you would feel about this, Peter, but I think for us, we, we do have a, there is a concrete object uh, that does fulfill our lack. Um, and for us, and this would, I think, require maybe a totally separate conversation. Um, for the reason why we don't fall into the sort of paradoxes of, of that, for example, Lacan outlines quite brilliantly, I think is because for us, the object that truly fulfills our, per who is the, the end of our existence is a person and an infinite person who we can enter into infinitely and know infinitely into eternity. And as the East, the, especially the Eastern, uh, fathers, uh, that I really, uh, um, and quite faithful to as as orthodox like maximus the confessor they really describe this as like a creative ascent an eternal ascent an ever-moving rest fuller and fuller into communion with the person of christ so uh communal ontology is yes it's really based in in relations but also is based in in person uh in in the in person being being the highest category for us because um god the absolute reveals himself to us as a as a person so that's just some thoughts on on that wonderful i would love to respond um i need to plug my computer in so give me two seconds and then i want to come back and chat about that <laughs> sounds good yeah, great in fact i think you uh did sort of answer the question i had Trey, because peter sort of described what it's like to oh, be right. in communion with uh, the death of god Whereas I right, was trying right, to understand right. how would that differ from the more orthodox Christian perspective of being right, right. with God, with the living God. And I think right. like the latter part of your, your kind of response did, did answer that question. Well, yeah, I mean, we participate in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And the death part, I think, is contingent. So this goes back to the contingency of negativity for us. Um, and we believe, by the way, Christ would have become incarnate because the overall purpose, we believe the central narrative arc of scripture is God's un union with us, his making himself present, his tabernacling among us, which he does in the person of Christ. Um, but in order for him to do that in the perfect way he wants to, ultimately in eternity, in the eschaton, um, he, there needs to be a redemption from sin. So that's also um, part, part of Christ's work. Um, so for us, we, um, through baptism, but also, also through repentance and, and through faith, we're truly mystically, spiritually, and, but truly ontologically participating in the, um, in the death of Christ. But when we participate in, in the death of Christ, when we die in Christ, we also receive, um, his merits to use a traditional sort of legalistic language, which I think has actually is quite valuable um, and useful. Um, we receive the merits of Christ, um, and that is our resurrection. We receive our resurrected bodies in the body of Christ. That's why the church is the body of Christ. So that's just sort of the basic orthodox understanding of how we commune with the death of Christ. We do, in, in, in a sense, I think that's valid language because we're, we're truly dying in and alongside uh, side Christ. But then there is this moment of, of resurrection, which is... Um, an understanding of resurrection that definitely definitely uh definitely differs from sort of at least the way Zizek would describe reconciliation in the Holy Spirit um in the community of the Holy Spirit and especially uh, I'm basing my understanding of reconciliation on on less than nothing and what he describes there um but in any case uh Peter you're you're back so I'll I'll, I'll let you go now
please. Like, yeah, this, this, I mean, this is a fascinating conversation because it allows um, us to show how, how many, how we're revolving around a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the same interests, um, but also clarify differences. And so I would be able to respond to you and kind of, and I always am worried to do this because when I clarify what I'm doing, I think a lot of people who are watching or listening to this will be like, I'm definitely not that. <laughs> so I, I'm about to say something that I don't think is going to be very persuasive to many people. Um, uh, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. Um, so yeah, both of us, oh, and I, my, my master's actually was originally around the question of Jean-Luc Marion's work of saturation of really religion as a response to a surplus that, you know, that so our fragmented discourse is kind of a, almost like an evidence of an encounter with um, a superabundance. And that com a conversation that Marion was having with Derrida at the time, there's a book called God, right. the Gift in Postmodernism that yeah, has that dialogue between them. And Derrida's notion of religion as openness to a kind of a promise, a kind of an eternal eschatological kind of openness. And I was very right. interested in that discussion because both what I was interested in is both were saying, well, whatever religion is, it's not about some sort of totalizing discourse, what they used to call metaphysics of presence. And it wasn't about kind of like grasping. So, uh, and I've always been in a kind of interested in this idea of faith, whatever faith is, um, we're describing it as a response to something that is otherwise than being. Um, this is my critique of atheism, actually. Well, and it's, I think it's she's a critique of atheism, which is atheism is not negative enough because if traditional theism says God exists and traditional atheism, like uh, I heard Sam Harris recently talking about, it's like God doesn't exist. It's a, it's a kind of like, you know, it's a negativity as in there is no God. Well, then, you know, radical theology says God is that which does not exist. You know, God is the non-existent thing um, right. that you have to have a space for a type of, negativity um and that's kind of almost what religion gives um and then we can discuss whether that's a surplus or an absolute lack etc cetera, etc cetera. but in terms of what trey was saying i think it's 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 very true this is like orthodoxy i think at its core there is a sense of our lack our negativity um there is a a, a, a recognition of that a confession of that um there's a beautiful set of rituals that religion has developed to try to help people embrace that dimension that our egos try to defend ourselves against and help us not see. Um, but that ultimately communion then is based around, you know, an acknowledgement of that, but a God of, of surplus, a God who is, who is, who is not divided. Right. And mm -hmm. the kind of communion that I'm describing, and this is the thing that will potentially not be persuasive is the notion that 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 what unifies us with the absolute um is that the absolute is also alienated is alienated from itself and so in one in one way we overcome our alienation through its embrace and you know Todd McGowan talks about this he even says that Marx occasionally was not Hegelian enough by articulating potentially in communism, which Marx did not talk much about, and you know, his mostly obviously a critique of capitalism, but in moments Marx paints a picture of a non-alienated economic reality. And, right. you know, that's why I think McGowan brilliantly says we need to bring Hegel back into 
Marx, and that's exactly Shizek's argument as well, that, that in dropping Hegel and Hegel's religion, um, we the left falls foul of utopian thinking of and and basically you know for for McGowan and Shizek, um bringing Hegel back to Marx is a way of of saying that alienation is not overcome alienation is redoubled and when alienation is redoubled we are freed from its negative effects so I'll say one thing is that I think and see if you agree with this Trey that the the difference is, and the term that was sometimes used in philosophy is difference. So we, not far from negativity as well. Difference can describe, I am different from you. I am different from this table I'm sitting beside. But difference can also mean I am different from myself. And this table is different from itself, right? So there's there's mm -hmm. difference, which is, you know, I am different from the other. And there's differences. The, the other is different from itself. And I'm different from myself. I... I'm when I talk about negativity, I, I'm I'm sin. I'm talking about the latter, right? As in a self division. And I think what Trey is saying is, is Trey associates sin with negativity. I associate sin with the repression of negativity, the disavowal of negativity, and the foreclosure of negativity. So, and I think that's the difference. So I I don't want to say that sin right. is so much negativity as sin is when we repress, disavow, and foreclose right. our relationship with negativity. Would you say that that is a, a, a fundamental difference or a way of kind of parsing out our views on, yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah. I think especially here, I think we're sort of using negativity in the, in the same sense. Um, I, I, uh, I think that yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up actually because um yeah I do agree and I would I wanted to ask you right um do you think that original sin is distinct here because original sin is this uh, more primordial um uh, just sort of the um, the sort of the condition of us being subjects in the first place while um I think what you seem to be describing with um the these ideological i think sinful attempts to cover over the negativity i think these are more like personal sins so we do make a distinction in just yes. traditional christianity between original sin and and personal sins so would that be the correspondence for for you as well yes I, yeah i think that's very good and i i'm creatively misreading like i love the term original sin but i know that i'm making more of it than than I think obviously within orthodoxy, but I, I I kind of that's where I sometimes think that a term is better than the definitions that are originally given to it. So like original sin has that sense for me of lack. And I'll say one thing actually about this and see what you think. This is because this gets to the heart of what is salvation, right? Um, and I would say that in some respects we're terrified of lack like the ultimate death right let's just talk about death death is terrifying right in different ways the death of a loved one the death of a relationship but death and you know some people the response is like a stoic one which is well don't worry about it when you're alive you're not dead and when you're dead you can't <laughs> you you know you've got nothing to worry about so there's the stoic response which is a response to the, the terror of death um there's also technological and religious responses which is we will overcome death either through you know singularity and technology or whatever or we can or we will not die you know this death is contingent and we will live forever um i want to say radical theology the good news is you're already dead right you just don't know it 
right? And so what, what like, what someone like Winnicott, primal agony is people sometimes wake up in the middle of the night terrified they're, that they're going, their relationship's going to fall apart or whatever. Primal agony, it's, a, it's that moment that a lot of people suffer from where they're afraid of a catastrophe happening. For me, with original sin means the catastrophe already happened. You just haven't symbolized it. You haven't put it into the to the chain of signifiers. So in a similar way, in that psychoanalysis with the primal agony, the good news is, you know, you're terrified that your life is going to fall apart, that your relationship is catastrophic. You know, you're terrified of the apocalypse. The good news is the apocalypse already happened. The trauma of to come to to be birthed as a subject is to be birthed as a as is a traumatic event. And actually, then you can you can go, OK, it's already happened. I'm already dead. Um, I just have to find a way through art and literature and relationship to find a way to bear the, the weight and even enjoy that death that we are. Um, so anyway, yeah, so that's that's the good news for me is not that we can overcome death, but that we're already dead. Right. Um, yeah, uh, that was that that was very insightful, Peter. Um, I would say that the I guess if I would. I'm trying to articulate like what the orthodox the orthodox um way of formulating um um what you were saying about death um and I think well St Paul says that Christians have died um they have died in Christ um then there's this passage I can't remember where 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 or this verse where Paul says you have died therefore die and he's saying uh you have died in Christ therefore live out this death live out this death in your ascetic works, in your um, charity, in your humility, uh, and in your love of God. Um, so um, that that is the Pauline understanding, and um, uh, uh, this is the Orthodox understanding as well, I, I think. Um, and I think it aligns a lot with, with what you were saying, Peter, where, um, like, for us... Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> those verses, I, I didn't think of those, but that kind of aligns. <laughs> That's a beautiful right. way of... Um... Me, I'm going to use those verses. So sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah. They, they're, they're very significant, I think. And um, uh, I, I'm just wondering, like, um, how, what the distinction would be in terms of how I would uh, want to interpret this. Um, like, again, I would just emphasize that that for for Paul, he's specifically speaking to the brethren, to 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 the Christians. He is saying, "You have died. You have died to this world. So, so live out your death." Um, um, now at the same time, he will also say that, um, that basically the world, um, non-Christian world is in a state of death. So he also would agree yeah. with the, what you were saying, Peter, with there already is the death and then Christians have a new relation to, to death, which they actually double live out. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, um, but, but, but of course, from, from my perspective, it really is, um, an ontological understanding, a, uh, Christological understanding, it's a participation in, in the living risen Christ, which is, um, uh, or in the, in the death and then in the, uh, the life of Christ. This is, is the essence of, of what's being said. Here. Uh, and, um, so, so for us, um, we want to not avoid, and I wanted to say this at the beginning of our conversation, and I didn't, um, I really want to emphasize that even though I would say fundamentally at an ontological level, there is a, a contingency of of negativity. This doesn't mean we want to cover over the negativity. We want to ignore it. We want to push it off onto some other 
um, and, and this is why I kind of opened with, um, and I realized now I didn't explain it the best at the, at the time. This is why I opened with um, uh, Paul, who calls himself the chief of, of sinners, and the Jesus prayer, where over and over again you pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, a constant repetition and, and reminder of, of, of your own uh, sinfulness. Uh, this is, this is quite, um, this is quite important for, uh, for my understanding as well. Uh, so it, it, in any case, um, uh, that's basically, I think all I had to, to, to say on that, but I'm, I'm quite surprised actually, because I think Peter and I agree on a lot more than I thought, uh, we were going to specifically because, and I, I keep bringing this this up again, um, but it's just very interesting for me. I, I do think there is a, at least a distinction in emphasis um, between uh, what Peter's saying and Zizek, and, and it's a, a distinction in emphasis I've already noticed before it, it, between Todd McGowan and, and Zizek, where Zizek sort of has more of an emphasis on the inhuman aspect, like one of my, my, and I think there are con actual consequences in the philosophy itself where, where Zizek has, I think he'd be much more cautious, uh, compared to Peter, uh, when it comes to, um, the a affirmation of the ability to know the other, to meet the other, even in a sort of, uh, um, a mutual recognition of negativity or alienation. Um, because, um, for Zizek, uh, the most fundamental fact or like limitation of the subject aside from its own self-division is its division from the other. And it's a, it's an, a barrier that cannot be crossed for Zizek. And he has said this before, um, um, like in a, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I quote all the time in, in one of his lectures, I think it's called negativity in Hegel and Freud. He says, um, the most radically new thing is not to discover an alien, but to but to say fuck it another self consciousness so just have this moment where you're like oh fuck it there's another subject another equally singular being out there this for Zizek is impossible it it he says in that speech for him it's impossible um for for him I think almost there's like in terms of like uh, Hegel's philosophy in terms of the phenomenology I do think Zizek has a special relation to the to the understanding section to this this section of the 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 night of the world the subject this really is the real for Zizek this is where sort of everything stops this is where the uh and and really any sort of movement from there for Zizek is really just reconciliation with the real with this fundamental void this antagonism actually I should have been using that term antagonism because um maybe this is a question for you Peter I sort of already asked you a similar one but would you use that language that Zizek often does of antagonism to refer to uh this negativity uh because I think at least a prima facie superficial level uh when you're talking of this this core of the self which is an antagonism it's a lot more difficult i think to to articulate how this could be the basis upon which we are united in communion which is why i think Zizek talks about it less but that's sort of just my my intuition thank you oh yeah there's loads in that sorry to, um yeah you know uh, and i want to come back to what was the uh oh yes i i want to Oh, well, so I'll say a couple of things about Shizek and then, yeah, come back to the kind of a question I have for you. Um, you know, I hear what you're saying about Shizek. However, like for me, I would say, I would argue that the, for Shizek fundamentally, fundamentally, um, 
that this negativity is is one that is is primarily an encounter with the other's negativity and in fact like in the sense of anxiety for Lucanian and she's through and through Lucanian is anxiety is precisely an encounter with the other's lack and it's kind of like uh and fantasy is a response to the other's lack I I think if if there's a strength in she's and kind of not saying of saying that you know we're kind of you can never get hold of the real you can never get hold of negativity it's more so yes so that we never reduce it to the same we never kind of but i do very much see in in shizek that traditional notion of separation which is redoubled alienation but it is clearer in mcgowan maybe and it's much clearer in uh richard boothby in his book the embracing the void it's it's mm -hmm. you know that's central to him and that's a that's a great book absolutely great book but that's a, just an aside um i kind of and one of the things you mentioned I, I guess one of the things i really like about orthodoxy and what i really like about uh christian mysticism is precisely it's keeping open are a radical unknowing doubt and ambiguity a radical keeping open this sense of a wound a wound within us a wound within the other like it keeps that open um doesn't close it up so for someone like jean-luc marion uh uh he calls it denomination. So denomination is the denaming that we always have to dename. That that Orthodox Christianity and Catholicism is you name, you nominate, and then you dename. Um, and denomination is a is is a central dimension of theology. It's a theopoetics and et cetera, et cetera. Um I the so where's my critique? At us and this is simplistic. So Trey, you're gonna reject this and you know and, and maybe whatever but to put it as most simple um my main concern with that theology on a pragmatic level and it doesn't mean it's wrong at this level but is it a similar i think to what hegel called the unhappy sinner in his uh in phenomenology of spirit when he kind of outlines how uh we we become self-conscious and in at the end of that chapter hegel talks about the unhappy sinner, which is a person who encounters and embraces their division, their dividedness, um, and that's it. They kind of accept it. They accept it and they embrace it that in this life, they're they're always going to have a certain un, uh, unfulfillment, a certain lack. It's a very Pascalian kind of idea, you know, Pascal, who I very much respect. I love Pensees, but it, you kind of read and you kind of go like there is a inherent unknowing and there's an inherent rupture or whatever the what i think radical theology offers is good news with the good news of orthodoxy i say this is it's most simple is in the next life there will be this unification and this unit and maybe you get moments of it in this life i don't know like there's ways of maybe describing echoes of that uh you know c.s lewis who you mentioned a good northern irish guy i live where he grew up actually two minutes from his house um he uh he talks about joy as a type of echo of this uh um this beauty this plentitude but for me the good news of radical theology is if self-division is within everything then then you're no longer depressed so if i if i describe a depressed person as i'm depressed because Partly because I think I could have had a better life. I, I could have gone out with that person and it would have been wonderful, right? And so I'm depressed because I have this fantasy of 
something that would have been so much better. And I think it was in Hegel and the Wired Brain, actually, where Shizek talks about possible worlds. I thought this was a really interesting and, you know, analytic philosophy, possible worlds or worlds that are, you know, not actual, but I mean, the actual world is a possible world as well, but there's an infinite variety of possible worlds that in one sense we can have, we can even come to terms with our brokenness in this actual world, but we still are haunted by a possible world in which we could have been happy. And what radical theology does is it says, not only are you not happy in the actual world, you couldn't be happy in any possible world either, right? So it, start, it turns up depression, it kind of turns it up and says, there's a, there's a trauma and a brokenness in every possible world as well as the actual world. You might've been happier with that person, but it still would have had its problems and its difficulties. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is, I wanna argue that weirdly, it's that insight, that self-division, is within everything that moves you from the unhappy sinner, which is I am broken, I don't have the answer, I don't know, but one day I will. I see through a glass darkly, one day I will see, to the point that, <laughs> oh yes, if I if you break through the glass and you see that the other side is divided as well, that's the insight, the insight. And that in a way, and then you realize that, oh, all joy, all happiness is actually based on sacrifice and not having and frustration you can't have one without the other that the very things the frustrations the unknowing that all of the negativity you, if you got rid of the negativity you'd get rid of the positivity as well that 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 they're they're really intertwined and that's the that's the liturgy of radical well parotheology the liturgy of parotheology is in a way saying that um whatever the other side is, the other side is divided as well. And I think that frees us from being an unhappy sinner. So I suppose my critique, and as I say, it's you'll push back on this, but as I worry that this approach, this Pascalian approach um, makes this life a little bit like a waiting room. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I see. Um, yeah, and, and I, I'm not exactly, I'm I'm not sure um if I would even disagree with that fully. Um I mean obviously I would definitely emphasize that I mean the the kingdom of God is is here right now uh um among us uh, eternity is present in time. I mean we say in the person of Christ himself eternity walked in time. Um um the word became flesh like um the, the, we do believe in this sort of and we really do affirm um in all its in all its ontological weight the the paradox and the the event of the event of christ and what christ is um um so so for us um so so can you say again peter your your concern is uh basically that um well maybe you, you could say can you just repeat your your concern again yeah, in a, in a nutshell, you know, it's that that this approach can be world denying, and right. actually, I quite like that term, world denying. We probably like it in some respects, but I'm going yeah. to use it in a negative sense of yeah. like um, that that in a way, yes, there's a certain kind of like unhappiness that is just inherent right. to the present existence, and we're kind of start to just wait for the for the next life. Right. Right. Um. Well, I think uh, a really good uh, sort of uh, explanation of the way uh sort of in in response to a similar critique um but a different but similar uh nietzsche's critique is is uh is by david bentley hart uh beauty of the infinite he sort of opens beauty of the infinite with this this critique of, of nietzsche's critique of 
of Christianity, where he, he, for one, makes like I think a pretty good historical point, at least that at least when it came to the to the pagan intelligentsias, uh, intelligentsia, the the higher classes or or whatever, um, uh, the philosophers too, especially uh, the claim that Nietzsche makes that you sort of have this uh, Dionysian spirit in in um, in uh, in the Roman Empire, and then you have the the otherworldly, mystical, world-denying Christians is actually false because if you read the Neoplatonists, uh, they're even more world-denying than than Christianity. Christianity is actually quite an embodied religion, especially compared to the Gnostics and the Neoplatonists um, and, and other, and especially um, sort of Far Eastern spirituality. Christianity really emphasizes emphasizes the body, uh, especially more modern modern theology, um, both from Catholic and, and Orthodox and, and I'm sure Protestant. There's uh, emphasis on on the body, on, on the material world, and, and that is because God himself became man. Um, now, this life, I don't. I don't think the idea of a waiting room. I, I would agree with this language because it implies, contrary to the way I would conceptualize it, a sort of passive um, waiting for an event that is purely other and that this or or purely um, um, un unexpected. And and this to me is a little too, and maybe unexpected is is not the right way way to describe it but um uh monergistic would be a better term i because this is compared to the orthodox view of synergy of salvation with god it's too lutheran almost where god uh or, or calvinist where god um um uh, uh sort of just he is the one who saves us and we're just purely passive in, in, in this respect he's the one who justifies us uh not based on the merits of christ which remain alien or external to us it's not a true transformation of us into the likeness of christ that's how we understand salvation and justification there is no split for us uh, between justification and salvation they're two sides of the same process of being transformed into the likeness of christ so i would just maybe disagree with your phrasing sorry i think we're losing trey there oh yeah you'll probably be back um yeah because i was i wanted to ask uh trey in fact peter I think you beautifully articulated sort of phenomenologically what it's like to, you know, practice the liturgy of uh, paratheology. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask from him, well, in, cause in, in kind of the Orthodox Christian perspective, the, the, the idea of the, uh, the, the, the other, the absolute other, not in the other as in the, this, let's call the social other, but other as in the God, the absolute other is still complete, right? And how does that, so how does one engage with that, let's say, uh, phenomenological datum that there still is this completeness somewhere there, whereas I believe yes. in radical theology, even that absolute other is subdivided. Yes. Yeah. No. And the, oh yeah, well, actually, no, Trey's back. You finish your point, but that's, yeah, that's definitely the interest. So like Trey, by the way, sorry, I'll just going to jump in because you lost your, you lost your spot, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, Trey's um the, the the world affirming dimension of orthodoxy that's that is very true and uh, Chesterton's very good on that as well um and uh so there is that dimension um but sometimes I think that's because the, this notion is within Christianity it's not articulated that well but I, but I do love that point I do think that's very true the the issue for me but is that that ultimately if if you have a sense in which you are divided you have negativity you are in sin to use the theological term and there is a, a future time in which 
you will be kind of un unified with God or, you know, that kind of that kind of idea that even in the midst of embracing life and all of that, there is still of necessity a type of alienation that is contingent that marks the current world, the current state of being that will one day be overcome. And that's the thing that I suppose I'm saying is different, at least with radical theology, is that the alienation is not something that will one day be overcome. It's it's inherent to all. It's also where the source of ethics and joy come from, as well as suffering and pain. Um, but then but then you completely dis there's no distinction then between some other world that hmm. is kind of, you know, there might be another world that's better, obviously, but not a world that is without division. Um, but right. sorry, Trey, uh, yeah, jump back in. Well, um, I, I would just say that I think that um, this disagreement may stem from our different just or different understandings of what salvation or reconciliation actually is because again as I, I was saying there actually is an object that we are oriented towards who we believe fulfills our desire and um save, saves us gives us salvation and that object is no object at all um but but christ himself the person of christ himself the the infinite person um so, um, but but for you, rather, I, I don't think you have the spot of a sort of uh, a place, I think, for a sort of infinite positivity, infinite abundance that I conceive of of God as eternally re revealing himself. Um, I'm not, I actually do disagree with, with many understandings in Orthodox theology of the hiddenness of God and how this relates to his revelation, where there's like, I think, an overemphasis on the hiddenness of God and the dark cloud of unknowing. Um, scripture more primarily speaks of, of God as the glory cloud, the, the illumination which pierces into us, which communes with us, where we are brought into the glory cloud. That's what Moses does when he ascends Mount Sinai. He is symbolically moving, well, he is moving up the holy mountain, which is symbolically moving up from from heaven uh, or from earth in, in, into heaven, into communion with God. Um, and then with Christ, obviously, we have heaven, which has come into the, to the earth through an act of self-limitation of kenosis. The infinite truly has united himself with, with the finite. Um, so, um, I think that, uh, yes, we do believe like in our time right now, history right now is what we call protological as opposed to eschatological. We're in a protological state where uh, still we're still we're in the latter days. We're in the end times technically, um, but we're uh, because the end times are the history uh, in in traditional Orthodox theology. It's it's history after Christ has ascended as as King of creation, um, um, but but. Um, in any case, we, we, uh, uh, the, the, we live in the, uh, the millennium. Sorry, I lost my, my, uh, train of thought there. I'm, I'm just going to try and get to, to the, to, to the main point with, um, with what, what Peter was saying. Why I don't think it's, um, sort of this, uh, uh, this stasis, stasis or passivity where we're waiting for something to come it's more of an active movement it's a description of our active movement our creative ascent our movement towards the revealed god um so i don't think it ever involves a sort of um at least there definitely is this space for a sort of imaginary fantasizing of a ideal future the way you were describing with like todd critiquing marx and, and stuff like that there definitely is that temptation there for sure but i think that when we, true like christian spirituality 
the way it's described is uh, uh, a more so it's a, a direct communion, uh, a, a, an immediate communion uh, with uh, with God, where we are truly entering into further into this revelation of God, uh, receiving the revelation of God and entering into a personal a personal communion with God. So I think when we say that um, eternity is here now and we have it now, so we, we really do affirm that. But at the same time, we wouldn't go as far as what you were saying where, and, and what Zizek also says, where it's like, it's already happened now. Um, salvation is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Um, uh, uh, we just need to reconcile ourselves with that. I would say, yes, it is here, but and we do have to reconcile ourselves with it, but we reconcile ourselves with the gospel, the good news, which is fundamentally, I have a different understanding than you, which is the overabundance of of Christ's Christ positivity, his revelation. Uh, that is that is the good news. The, the person of Christ, his his conquering of death. This is all part of the the good news, the the good news for us. So um, so that is that is the gospel for us, and and that is what we what we preach. So that is the main point I wanted to make. Is yeah, I, I get your point, Peter. I would just say even within our sort of self understanding, the waiting for the the kingdom of, of God is not understood as a uh, sort of passive, sort of as I said, more Protestant understanding of God will justify us, then we're just justified. But in active, it's the sort of the analogy that Christ will use, uh, and the Bible often uses of the laborer, the laborer working in the fields. We're we're working for God, and we are preparing the kingdom of God, um, uh, and um, for its full revelation on uh, on on the earth. So it is a difference between us. But I would just emphasize the point that for us, it is an active and cre creative. Uh, movement uh, that is what the uh, Christification of the world is the the coming of, yeah. the coming of the eschaton. Yeah. In fact, Peter, uh, Ronald, did you want to say something? Oh, jump. Yeah. Yep. Fact, if you respond to Trey, I just want to ask. Following on from that, Peter, that's a really good point, Trey, because uh, I did realize that it seems a lot of your theology is around this idea of negativity. And and finally, if I know that you got a talk coming up, I believe, but her name is Julie Resch. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, analysis, which is a fantastic. Uh, I've just started on it. Um, so my question would be kind of touching on what Trey said. Yeah, where in uh, paratheology or let's say radical theology, is there a place for this kind of positivity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, it's very interesting. So first of all. What's, um, you know, C.S. Lewis has an argument, which is a very traditional argument, medieval argument, that um, that we have desires for things and we have desires for things and we find that those desires can be met. So we have a desire for food and there's food, desire for uh, sex and there's sex and desire for um, comfort, whatever. We have these desires and they seem to match. Um, and, you know, one of the arguments is, well, we also have this desire for eternity. We have a desire and and there's an idea, you know, it's not a it's not a knockdown argument, but it's this idea that, you know, we have this desire that we find it within ourselves. And this could point towards that there is a, there is a satisfaction of this desire. Um, but interestingly, if if we add to that argument, which I find interesting, if we add to that argument that human beings are one of the defining characters of human beings is that we have desires for things to be fulfilled, but we also have desire for desire, right? We have a desire for desire itself. Um, and let's call that drive for a shorthand. So drive is a type of desire for desire, not a desire for the 
the object that will fulfill it, but for the continuation of desire itself. Um, and then if that's the case, then, um, you know, the, and if that's central, then in terms of uh, some some forms of, let's say, evangelical Christianity, um, God is kind of the fulfillment of your desire, which is the destruction of your desire, which is the destruction of drive, which would be the destruction, I think, of, of subjectivity, of what makes us human. Um, so I, I sometimes hear within some forms of confessional Christianity um, a lack of kind of like sophistication around this notion of drive and the desire for desire. Um, therefore, you know, visions of of Christianity that I think, uh, are, you know, would result in a kind of hellishness. <laughs> um, but what I would say is then maybe the distinction here as well is partly between Freud's notion of the seduction theory of trauma and then where he kind of went with that and into Lacan. So, you, you kind of got two views of a trauma. One is a trauma is an overabundance of something that happens to you. Somebody sexually abuses or physically abuses you and you feel this intensity that you, you cannot symbolize. The young mind cannot make sense of this event that's happening and this is traumatic. Uh, and that actually connects with a, a view as well of uh, which I used to hold of like what religious experience is. It's in a sense the incoming of something that you cannot contain that you cannot symbolize that it creates a fragmented discourse that's why we have four gospels for example because they're four testimonies to an event that is is beyond words um i actually was listening to um a lecture or no a talk it was a, a conversation lex friedman podcast this chemist i forget his name but he was talking about time i find his his definition of what time is very beautiful. And basically <clears throat> his argument is that the universe cannot contain itself. Uh, the universe has too has so much within it that it cannot contain itself. And I guess so it spills out <laughs> and it spills out into time. And uh, I, I think this is a very beautiful image um, of like the, you know, of saturation that we, that of mystical experience. But I, I want to contrast that with yeah. the notion that actually trauma Oh, do you want to jump in there and say anything about that, Trey? No, just no, saying, yeah. no. Oh, yeah, I but, just yeah. disagree. Um, yeah. Okay. But then, then I think where Freud, I think, made a really fundamental insight, um, and I think this is this is where Freud really becomes Freud, is he goes like, no, what's traumatic is not some overabundant plentitude, some experience that hits you. What's traumatic is the question that's within it. So he uses the example of a young girl who goes into a shop and she imagines that the shopkeepers are laughing at her and she becomes very paranoid. She runs out, she finds this very traumatic. And this connects with an early experience where a shopkeeper um, sexually assaulted her in some way, like groped her. And she, he had this look, this grimace, this smile on his face. And what this later experience when she was, say, 14, was these shopkeepers looked like they were getting pleasure from her, right, laughing and connected with this early trauma of this being touched. But also the question of what is this? This other person is extracting pleasure from me. They're getting something from me. I don't know what it is, but... and. So and that's the traumatic dimension of trauma is the unknowing the 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 what what is this, 
Now, just to connect this very quickly with a beautiful example Shizek used um, recently of, you know, watching a movie. He watched a movie and the movie felt incomplete. There wasn't something about it that just didn't feel right, uh, but it was based on a classical book. So he went back and read the book, uh, but the book itself felt actually even worse than the movie and it definitely was missing something and so that generated a third document a, a document which didn't have the lack within it right but this third document doesn't exist but comes into existence through the fragmentation of the, right. the triangle so for me that's similar to what what freud was doing is the this experience of hmm. what why are they laughing at me connected with this early experience of what is this person getting out of me why what what pleasure are they extracting from me which then generates a, fant a phantas phantasmic response and an answer to that question, which doesn't really answer, which doesn't really exist. Right. All of that to say, oh yeah, that that um that my view now of religious experience is not plentitude, the encounter with this plentitude, but is an encounter with a lack, and that, and that, and the the fundamental an encounter with a fundamental question. And the the way to uh, salvation, in a way, is to make peace with that question, not to answer that question, but to make peace with it. Now, I think Trey can come back, and I think I think your position is very sophisticated, and I think you can come back and go like that. Your very definition of God maintains an unknowing within it, and I don't know if you maintain that right, as in in terms of like right the way through into into everything, but you can say. Well, yes, when you encounter the divine, you're also inherently encountering a question mark that, you know, that can never be answered. And, and so I think you can probably respond to me, you know, but I still that that's my tendency is to go that the true religious experience or the, tr the true kind of traumatic event is an encounter with a negativity, um, not with a plentitude. Right. Um well, I, I think to respond to that, I'd kind of just, uh, maybe I think the best way forward would just uh, for me to articulate where I would place this negativity and where, where, where I see it. Um, uh, specifically, I, I really, that was a very good uh, explanation of the death drive uh, in Freud. And specifically, I think uh, your reading of Freud is sort of, I think you're reading him through Zizek. Um, and I'm not saying that that is wrong. I, I, I definitely <laughs> appreciate that. And I appreciate it uh, uh, because I understand it more because of that. Um, so like the way Zizek describes the death, the death drive in um, less than nothing, at least, is it is um, this, uh, it is the primordial act of the subject. I think he, he will later, he wrote a whole other book called Absolute Recoil, where he actually describes what this act is. It is the absolute recoil. So there's just Great this. Well, I love, love that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do too. Um, yeah, so so there's the uh, the absolute recoil, and it is this. Uh, as as Peter explained, um, definitely definitely better than than I can. Um, it is the the drive for the enacting of the loss itself. It is not a um, a search for the object, but an enacting of of the loss itself, and I think that it can be put in the form of a question as well. And I think in terms of subjectivity, the question is fundamentally, um, who am I? We can maybe say, or, or what am I? Um, because even for Zizek, he says that the subject tries to represent itself, it fails, and the subject is the very result of this failure of its own representation. Um, so 
so what what you're having that right there is the death the death drive it is the enactment of the failure which generates a sort of virtual excess which is object a it, it, it that is the uh, and the object a is imaginary and it is for Zizek the most basic level of the imagination is the object a um and at this level in terms of this the very core of the subject itself the object a is actually the um sort of correlate of the void of the subject it is the inscription of the subject within the symbolic order as the whole in the symbolic order itself um in any case the the way i understand this is that uh, i think zizek is I, I said this earlier he is correctly um articulating and intuiting the fundamental impossibility of any self-relation of any um of a of a unity of identity that is purely self-referential um it, such as the i equals i of the traditional cartesian cogito obviously zizek really problematizes this understanding and sees the cogito as like this this inhuman inherently split thing um and and, and the way i understand so the way i understand this uh, uh the object a in particular is um I, I have a quote from saint maximus the confessor where he talks about the the result of sin so i would say that the the description of the death drive i think is the perfect description of sin it is the attempt to self-relate in the mode of a failure because it always is a failure sin always fails to be what it wants to be just ontologically uh this is sort of the the, the christian claim um, now, I, I had a quote from, uh, trying to find it here, uh, St. Maximus the Confessor, where he talks about a sort of virtual excess that is the result of sin, which I think correlates very well with this object A, which is the, the virtual excess of the death drive. So um, St. Maximus says um, uh, that he's talking about those who in the coming life, so at the judgment, uh, they will receive the dreadful condemnation of being estranged from relation with God for infinite ages, a sentence so distressing that the soul will not be able to contest it, for it will have as a perpetually relentless accuser its own disposition, which created for it a mode of existence that in fact did not exist so i think even in maximus you have this dimension of subjectivity of the purely imaginary of this pure appearance that zizek talks about and i would sort of link this sort of the pure appearance as the result of sin which are imaginations that in the end when god is revealed all in all these imaginations are destroyed in the end but part of our sort of history uh part of what it means to be a uh, being in time, I think, where we're not fully united with God is we um, we still have yet to fully see the objectivity of, of the world in the absolute yet. We, so we have these, the space is open for the creation of these, these imaginary realities, which as Maximus says, do not in fact exist. Um, and I think the essence of this non-real, purely virtual existence is the purely po self-posited, of course, in the form of a failure of 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 the of the death drive which i think is the essential structure of all sin um and ultimately as i was saying all sin is is pride i think um i was saying that earlier the pride is corresponds to this structure of of the of the death drive and i would want to articulate that probably somewhere else maybe in writing before i i try to uh verbalize it but um 
I'm not sure. Um, by the way, all the my, bad my... stuff. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of, I, I really like what you're doing. Like in one sense, you're, you're reading very carefully Shizek and, and, uh, Lacan and others. And, and you're kind of saying these people describe incredibly well our current, uh, a mode of being in the world. And then right. what you do is you go, so it's, it's like, I'm, I'm imagining there's an old story in Belfast where a guy, American comes over gets on the bus and says, listen, I'm going to Belfast. Um, what stop do I get off? And this guy, Seamus, says, oh, he says, mate, listen, just look at where I get off, right? Look at where I get off and get off the stop before me, right? And that's what I feel you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're, you've are you gone all the way with Shizek. You've gone all the way. And then and then you get off the step, the stop before somehow, which, you know, which I like. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's like, yes, the difference between you and I at the moment um, is you take all of that, but then, so for me, again, it's it's like where for me, sin or negativity is, um, well, sin is, the, I say, the repression or foreclosure or disavowal of negativity. Um, and for you, it is drive. So in other words, for me, death drive is constitutive. Death drive, and for you, death drive, is ultimately able to be overcome. Right. And and I yeah. I'm not sure how I would understand like I'm not I'm not sure where exactly it fits in within like a Christian um theology of of sin, but I I I I I I I was going to say this earlier, the way I see it I sort of see it as a potential within the subject. So I think what Zizek sees it as is the actual core the void of the subject which is just sort of obscured by our the fact that we are like actual persons like with egos in a symbolic world we, we very rarely confront sort of our own inner negativity um but um but for Zizek this negativity this this void this inhuman void that destroys all substantial content um it is uh it is actualized at the core of the subject while what I would want to say more more so is that Zizek is philosophically articulating a potential of subjectivity as free beings created in the image of God. Um, I, I think there's this potential for absolute withdrawal, and I think this potential is only ever actualized in hell as Gehenna, that as a moment of consciousness. So I, I don't actually think it is the core of our subjectivity because I don't see it as constitutive. Um, and this is sort of like the main the main disagreement, as you were saying. Um, but I, I also wanted to say that my my uh, laptop is going to die in probably 15 minutes. So okay. we probably should wrap up before then, just so yeah, my, no, it absolutely. doesn't... No, we're, we're well over time, and I want to be cognizant of, I know you both have other commitments. Well, Trey, you're probably going to head straight to bed after this, but... Um, yes. All right, what, time is it? what time is it with you? Uh, 2.38. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, enough yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. One last question on Peter's, Peter's point. So, oh, on the idea of overcoming, how would you articulate uh, uh, the, the way that the Orthodox Christian quote-unquote answer to overcoming this is called the death drive or negativity or uh, what well, be it may uh, and then perhaps there's a bit of a crass question how do you know that that overcoming isn't another form of ideology as the way Jacek would put it right um well sorry, I, I think that the, the oh sorry uh the very quickly the the main reason why I don't think it's a form of ideology at least 
from the the people I've like as Peter's described what ideology is and, and Todd McGowan and stuff. Uh, in in Orthodox Christianity, you don't see even if you want to say there is a, a an attempt to cover over the contradiction, which I would more so phrase it as a confrontation in in the with the boldness of the the as Paul says the armor of Christ uh, the, the armor of faith and uh, uh, boldness uh, boldness of our being in Christ. Um, but, um, but, uh, uh, in any case, uh, sorry, can you very quickly, uh, re repeat the question, Rahul? I'm just no, tired. It, it, it's totally fine. Yeah. I totally get it, man. And in fact, as, as we can probably hopefully have another conversation and keep, keep this dialogue going, but now my, my, my question more was in the idea of, uh, since Peter and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, uh, said that, uh, the negativity death drive, it's, Considerative to us, right, to right, ontological, yeah. right. Whereas I, right. I believe you're claiming it can be overcome, uh, and then the, right. the the question was how well, do we overcome it? Yeah, well, I think the the way we overcome it is very practical, and it's given in the light in in scripture, and it's given in in the in, in the church. Um, so that for, that is sort of a whole different conversation, I I I think. Um, but but that for me is uh, it really is revealed by Christ. So for me, yes, I do believe in the church. I do believe Christ established a church um, with with bishops um, in a hierarchy and, and stuff. Uh, but fundamentally, though, what I believe in is the person of Christ. Uh, the person of Christ is the center of, of my whole worldview, uh, basically. Um, um, so... Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's no. basically, I think, what, what, what I would say on that. I, I don't want to say too much because I'm just so tired, I think. That's I, I don't know what, yeah, what yeah, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> and we definitely will have more chance to have more conversations. Oh, I, I want to say, I was kind of going like, like in one way, uh, Karl Barth once critiqued Paul Tillich, and I think he probably critiqued Boltman for the same thing, but he said, like, you know, you guys um, use all of this philosophy um to kind of as a way to postulate the problem of human existence um and then christianity is the the answer to to the problem and which is generally <laughs> what very smart people do like yourself is boltman and tillich were very good at they understood and, and i think radical orthodox guys do this as well very smart and and understand and use and see the, the work of hegel and lacan and shizek and as a way of describing a certain kind of condition of humanity and then they come in with then the orthodox answer this is and which you know so i i will and another conversation we i want to jump in on that going like you understand all of this you've got it all you you nail it all and then you come in with the person of christ is the answer and i think like right that's the bit where i want to i want to i want to have more conversation with you to go okay um uh are you really like, I don't know. I, I I guess I was always on the side of Paul Tillich against Bart, Carl Bart on that. Mm -hmm. I thought, but mm -hmm. um, but now in this conversation, I feel like I want to be like Carl Bart and go. You're using these philosophers to pose the problem of human existence, and then you know Christianity is the right. answer to it. Right. Whereas Carl Bart almost says, "Don't even engage with the philosophy. Why even bother engage with Lacan and Shizek and all of this?" It, you know, I, I guess Bart might be saying it's all in Christianity. You know, it, the right. problem is articulated beautifully there, and the answer. Um, but again, I think you agree with that in a way because you do you do connect the theological language of sin. You connect biblical verses with mm -hmm. these concepts. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm just waffling. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, well, last thing I'll say is that for me, this is just the symbolic worldview of Christianity, because if I'm remembering correctly, the, the actual meaning of the word symbol, I think it's Greek in origin, uh, symbol meant like the bringing together the correspondence, uh, the revelation of a correspondence between two independent realities. So when it comes, I, I do believe as a Christian, and I do believe there is a sort of a personal God who created the world in his in his image. Um, uh, I, I believe in the biblical narrative um, and anthropology. Um, uh, the yeah the 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 world is um sorry i keep i keep getting lost because i'm 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 quite tired but i i was the the this is where i'm going to try uh, and win brilliant let's start yeah, let's keep yeah, going yeah, exactly. I was, yeah, exactly. in fact i was thinking yeah. I'll, I'll play some music and we can start an old <laughs> you know we can we can start an old yeah <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even gonna try because I I keep trying. I keep feeling. But um. Anyways, Peter, I I definitely do want to. Here's what this is what I was gonna say. Uh, actually, my my conversion to Christianity was literally over. My my moment of conversion was I was thinking about a problem related to sort of the philosophy of subjectivity, specifically with Zizek, um, and I was trying to figure out the problem, and then the idea of the Trinity sort of just came down descended into my heart and that to me was sort of the solution to it and uh ever since then um really i've seen the solution to um what i see as philosophical problems to be overcome in a sense not in in an ideological way as as the this the key to this is the two fundamental dogmas of christianity which is trinity and the incarnation of christ which are two both both doctrines are, are communal doc doctrines they all emphasize uh love and um god so loved the world that he sends his only son and god himself is love as as john says in both cases but um yeah my my very good my mac is literally at two percent so um oh yeah uh, no. and i'm glad you told me the conversion because i wanted to ask you that i really was intrigued and going like <clears throat> i know behind all of this as well is this is, is a very powerful conversion so at least i'm glad i heard a tiny bit of that so listen i've really enjoyed this conversation i really enjoyed meeting you and, and chatting uh raul thank you for bringing this together and i hope we can yeah, continue to you. have these conversations for sure absolutely this was this was beyond much better than I even expected. And I already had a pretty high standard for it. So thank yeah. you, John. It was fantastic.